Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor podcast with Victor Dadaj, where you'll hear stories and strategies to help increase your sales and grow your business. Here's your host, Victor Dadaj. All right, welcome to Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor. I'm your host, Victor Dadaj. I hope you're having an amazing day so far. Today, we have an awesome guest. He is an executive coach who provides personalized one-on-one coaching services to help entrepreneurs and other professionals reach their full potential. Um, His clients include corporate giants like ExxonMobil, UPS, Mizuho Bank, CenterPoint, and Bank of America. He has also worked for local and regional mid-cap brands like Brightview, Rain Logistics, Regions Regions Bank, Franklin Covey, and the Houston Society for Performing Arts. And his blog was ranked in the top 100 leadership blogs in 2016, 17, 18, and 19. Plus, he has over 200,000 social media followers. So let's welcome Doug Thorpe. How are you doing today, Doug? Hey, Victor. Uh, doing great and pleasure to be here. It's great to have you on. So, Doug, I'd like to start off asking you to please share your story. How did you wind up becoming an entrepreneur? Well, I'll try to keep it real simple. Uh, I, I got the entrepreneur fire really at a young age. I watched my hardworking single mom quit her day job while I was still in school and start a business. I, I, I watched everything she did and how she did it. And I, uh, I worked for her. That was my summer job in between, you know, school years. And, uh, it, it lit a spark that just kind of stayed with me for a while. And even though, um, I, I went to college and got commissioned in the army, spent some time in service, then got out and became a banker and did that for about 20 years. But when the banking opportunity came to take an early retirement, I set my sights on becoming an entrepreneur and I've been doing it ever since. And uh, love love the, the challenge and the freedom and the opportunity that comes with it. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a great journey. Awesome, so pretty much you've always been interested in since you were a young age, you saw your mom, uh, quit her job and start her own business. And you helped also during the summer, um, during those summers. So even though eventually you went on a different route, you, you know, you went to the army, you were a banker for 20 years, but once the time for retirement came, you, that fire would never, which never left you came back and said, I want to do some entrepreneurial stuff. And like I said, there's a lot of great, uh, a lot of great stuff that comes with it, time for you and flexibility. And so how long um, have you been working as an entrepreneur since you retired from the banking industry? Well, if we do the math, it's uh, about 25 years. Uh, Started five different companies, uh, did a number of different things independently. I I did a lot of consulting before I turned my attention to executive coaching. And it was the consulting experience that inspired me to become a coach because what I found happening in a lot of my business engagements, I would go out to to launch the consulting project, but the executive that was the sponsor would want to call me in, shut the door, and want to have a talk. You know, they they there were just things on their heart and mind that they wanted another voice, an outsider to to help with. And I realized there's a real burning need there, and that's what inspired me to to really focus on learning something about what it meant to be a coach, take some of the great training that's out there, and then turn all of my experiences 
into tools, tips, and ideas to help my coaching clients. Got it. Okay. Well, thanks for sharing that. Now, so when you first started, you were a consultant, and after a certain amount of time, you realized that you, you want to switch to executive coach because a lot of executives were asking you for help. They wanted another point of view, realizing saying, this is something where I can really help people out with. Now, you know, in all the years you've been doing it, what do you think have been some of the reasons why you've been able to have the success that you have? Uh, what are the things that you did, the things that you learned that, you know, that that you share with your clients and you share with other people who are trying to learn how to be successful. As you know, being an entrepreneur is not easy, especially uh, the first couple of years. It can be very challenging, and some people give up and sometimes right. give up way too quickly. So what do you think has been some of the reasons why you succeeded? Well, number one, I've, I've got the benefit of taking a few more trips around the sun, so I've got some retrospective uh, information to share with people. And one of the things I, I try to do is, is help people with understanding that there's no point in repeating a, a mistake I might have made along the way or a colleague of mine made along the way. And we can talk about that ahead of the decision point and ultimately try to find a, a better, more uh, successful outcome to whatever the situation might be. So. I do, I incorporate in my coaching a lot of what some people call presence-based coaching. And that is, you know, like if you were my client, Victor, I'd say, Victor, what, you know, what's on your mind right now? What's the big challenge you've got in front of you? What are you thinking? What are you worried about? What are you looking at? And then we kind of coach around that. And even though we're not there specifically to solve the problem, although that's usually the outcome, we, we find a good solution. It's more about helping my clients find better ways to look at their situation and think about things that they might not have otherwise thought about. No, that makes a lot of sense. Obviously, you have a lot of experience. You've been doing this for a lot of years. And one of the things you do is help people avoid mistakes other people made or you might have made in the past. So it stays in a lot of frustration and stress. And it just gets them to achieve their goals more quickly. So that's one of the great things about having a coach that can help you, you know, think them. Like you say, you help people, you you utilize something called presence-based coaching. You ask them about what the challenges are, what they're thinking right now. And then you have them um, look at things in a different way, a better way, which is one of the things people need. Because sometimes just having that different perspective can just change everything for a client. So definitely oh, some really good Yeah. So definitely some really good stuff. So uh, one of the things you talk about is uh, uh, can you talk a little bit about the difference between management and leadership because sometimes people uh, combine them things the same, but the differences uh, between. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's an interesting uh, evolution of things. When I started coaching, I used to ask people if they believe there was a difference between management and leadership, and occasionally people would be stumped and go, no, nah, I don't think so. But what I determined a few years ago is there's enough information out there. There's been enough discussion and presentation and in some cases training where when I ask that question, people say, of course, there's a difference. And, and then that leads me to my next question is, OK, what do you think the difference is? And that usually starts our conversation. And. My answer to the question, you know, what's the difference? I like the phrase, management is about process, but leadership is about people. 
And to kind of flesh that out, if you think about it, and you may have worked for somebody that was an okay manager, they got things done, you know, they hit goals, they hit project deadlines and, and work was being performed, but it may maybe not have been a pleasant experience. You, you didn't really necessarily want to rally around the person that was the manager. And then when you had an opportunity to work for someone that was a true leader, you would run through brick walls for them. You know, they, you just were inspired to, to be more and do more because you just really resonated with that person that was the leader. And I think that's an example of how becoming a better leader can really change the game in any sort of business, whether it's a small independent business like my mom's was, or, you know, you're a fortune 500. No, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Like under a certain type of manager, you're like, yeah, you'll get things done, but you're not really that loyal to him. You're really not excited about working with him. But a leader can really inspire you, really gets, like you said, you'll run through brick walls for him. So what are some of the things uh, a person can do to, you know, to go from being a manager, being a true leader that can inspire people to make people want to work for them, to inspire their trust? And what are some of the things they can do to become that leader? I do a couple of simple exercises with my clients right in the early stages of our, our work together. First, I ask them and challenge them with the idea, have you ever thought about the leader you want to be? Have you put a definition to it? Have, have you built a framework of values and beliefs that you think represent good leadership? And if, if anybody is kind of stuck on doing that, I'll, I'll take it back a step and say, well, okay, let's think about examples of people in the world that you are aware of. Maybe you, maybe you did work for them or you are working for them right now, or you had an experience where you were around them or you studied them. And so I, you know, I tell them it can be sports figures. It can be public figures, historic figures, doesn't matter. Think about who those people are and what was it about them and their leadership that resonates with you. And with that, people usually start kind of peeling the onion and realize that, oh, those are some of the attributes I can work to build and, and, and be better at doing. And because they resonated with you in, in knowing that, knowing something about that person, that usually is an indicator of kind of how you're naturally wired. And so if you say, for instance, I want to be courageous like Churchill, okay, well, guess what? Probably as we work together, we're going to determine you've got some natural tenacity. You, you've got some natural grit that you're you know, able and willing to provide. Or if they say, I want to be a good communicator like a Reagan or a Obama, you know, well, okay, let's work on that. What does that mean? What does that look like? And uh, we, we can build this framework of attributes and values. And, and let me, if I may, real quickly tell you, here, here's where I came to this conclusion on, on that approach. When I started my coaching business, gosh, almost 10 years ago, I, I did a lot of study and I read a lot of books and I, I looked at Amazon and there's about 60,000 books on the keyword leadership. And when you start 
looking at the glossaries in those, everybody attempts to, to frame up leadership. They describe the attributes of leaders. Well, when you stack all those together, when you get enough of them together, they're all talking about the same thing. They just might use different words. And maybe their list is seven attributes or it's 12 attributes, or as John Maxwell famously does, 21 attributes. And but again, when you compare them all, they're fundamentally eventually saying the same thing. So my thought was, why don't we challenge individuals to just claim your own? Think about it, look at it, put it in your own words, claim your own set of values and principles to make up your leadership toolkit and your leadership persona. And that's really where we start. We, we try to, I love following the Covey model, begin with the end in mind. Let's start by defining the leader you want to be, and then we'll work backwards to figure out where you're strong in a few areas or you might have gaps. All right, now that makes a lot of sense. You know, look, you know, figure out what type of a leader you want to be. You gave some examples, you know, Churchill, Reagan, Obama, you know, what, what you want to focus on communication, you know, your strength. So, and then you work backwards and then you work, you know, you have them create their own set of values. And, um, and then you originally, you know, work on getting them to become the kind of leader that they want to be. So I think that's really good because I think a lot of people never thought of it that way. They're just, you know, and like you said, they're like, what did you say? It was like 60,000 leadership books or like you said, most of it's saying pretty much the same thing. Now, um, now one of the things I want to ask you about is, uh, you know, oh, you know, and it, it is it becoming deceptively, is that one of the ways you help build more trust with your team or are there other things uh, a leader can do to help build more trust with the team? Because you, trust is so important. Like you said, they're going to go through big walls if they trust you and they believe in you. But if they don't trust you, they're not going to work as hard. They'll just, just do the minimum and just get out of it. So what are some things that a leader can do to help build the trust with the teams? Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I am passionate about the idea of how to build trust at work because trust is such a, a, a key element in human experience. As we go through our lives, we, we meet people, we engage with people, and trust becomes the driving force on where we go with that relationship. And uh, what I did a, a couple of years ago, I wrote a book with a, with a partner. We collaborated on the book, and it is called Trusted Work. And we present some practical principles and ideas for leaders on the ways you can do more to build trusted work. And really at the, at the heart of it is the, the same understanding of how we individually think about trust. You know, and I use the example of of meeting your significant other. You know, you you meet this person, you agree to go out on a date, and and you begin a process of discussion and dialogue, uh, most of which has to do with questions. You know, what kind of food do you like? What kind of music do you like? What do you like to do? What are your hobbies? Where have you been? Travel, etc. And you start going through this waterfall of questions and eventually the questions if the first date goes well you agree to go on a second date and the questions get a little deeper and a little more meaningful the experiences start you know coming together and then if it's going in the right direction pretty soon you get to this decision point 
not only do I know this person, I really like them and I feel like I can trust them. So it's no like and trust. And then you say, well, you know, let's take the next step. Let's make this a life-changing relationship and let's agree on our partnership together. Well, what we talk about in the book is that the same fundamental principles happen with employees and employers. And if you're the leader of a, of a work team, your people will have questions. And the more you can do as a leader to set up an environment where those questions are free and easy to deal with, then you will eventually build trust. And what we go through in the book is the study that tells us that there are really only six areas, six buckets, if you will, that these questions are going to land in. And I have, I have administered a program to teams at large companies. We've talked about, we call it the team trust model, and it defines these six buckets. On one hand, it's a little bit of a progression of thinking, again, like the dating thing, you get a little deeper and a little more involved with your questions. And people can bail out at any point in time. If their questions aren't getting answered, they can say, oh, I'm not interested anymore. I'm done. We're going to break up, you know, and, and same thing happens at work. So the point in the teaching and what helps make it practical for leaders to understand is that if you look at the possible questions that your people are going to bring to you and you think of them in terms of these six buckets, you can build your own environment where it's much easier to respond to those questions, provide answers, and you don't have to be a yes man. You don't have to always say yes, but you have to be truthful and real about the answer. People then can make their decision on whether it works for them or not. And both parties are better off if somebody gets to the point that says, no, this doesn't work for me. Well, good. Let's, you know, let's call it that and move on. No, I like the fact you compare it to the dating scene. So like you, uh, you, on the first day, you ask questions if things go well. Then uh, you progress to the second day, and then more questions come, more deeper questions, and then you know that continues and goes on and on. And so you use something similar between employees and employers, and um, the employees have a lot of questions. So you mentioned that the employers have to set up an environment where these questions can get answered, and it's very important for them to be truthful with the questions. So, and if all work you know works out well, then the employees will feel confident, they'll know, like, and trust, and they'll want to stay. And if they don't, you know, maybe they want to move on to some of that. But you're right. It's important for, for it to be truthful so that both sides can make a decision as they want to keep working together or not. So um, I think that's definitely a, a good way of doing things, just setting up the environment so that the questions are answered. The point knows what to expect and how things will be handled. handled. So I think that's very good. Um, next thing that happens to a lot of people at work is um, so it's called the imposter syndrome. A lot of people feel like they're imposters. So why does that happen? How they can overcome that? Well, that is, you, you, you are exactly right. That's a common dilemma that uh, managers explain or, or, or talk about as I you know, work with them, and it, it's a common problem people bring to me. And I, I, I think where it comes from, well, there's probably a lot of bases for it, but I, I think it, first, just to talk about what it is, you know, it's, it's the whole idea of you keep getting promoted up the organization. And the next time you get a promotion, you, you sit in the seat 
and you start thinking about the demands of the job and the expectations and the responsibilities and you you feel less than you feel like you don't have all the answers you don't know the work you don't know the business you don't know the people you, you there's a lot it's easier to write the list of what you think you don't know than what you do know and the 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 problem with that is that it it can become a self-fulfilling prophecy if you keep looking in the mirror and saying no i don't know this i don't have this i'm not going to be good at it guess what you're not going to be good at it <laughs> and so what i always encourage people to do is to think in terms of do a little look back and think in terms of the victories you do have think about what you do know and I call those uh, footholds on the mountain. You know, if you think about a mountain climber, I've never done it in a in a competitive way. I've, I've done it a little bit for recreation, and certainly not done any you know big face climbing. But the principle is, you always have three touch points on the surface. You know, two feet, one hand, two hands, one foot. Always something in threes holding on. Well, when people can think about these successes from the past, those can become those toeholds, those 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 anchors on the mountain as you're climbing, and you can you can rely on those to propel you up the challenge, and and then you know be willing to go to work on the things you might not know, and and the real truth. And this is where, you know, again, we get back to the idea of leadership framework and principles. And one of the things I encourage people to think about is the ability to be open, honest, some people call it transparent and vulnerable. And if, if you get in a new assignment and you realize there's something you don't know, well, go find the most senior person on that team that has been an expert in that area and sit down and t start talking to them. You don't have to necessarily bare your soul and say, I don't know anything about this. But what you can say is, I understand you're the expert in this field. You, you've been the company's go-to guy for this subject. Talk to me. Tell me more about it. Tell me what else you, 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 you know, I should know about this work. And you can begin having those kind of discussions to help level you know level up your understanding or your capacity and in the moment when you're maybe in a meeting and and something comes up if if you don't know it well just say i don't have an answer for that right now i'm going to have to get back to you on that and and that's perfectly real and it's honest and you don't have to hide behind a mask and just for the record, I fundamentally hate the phrase, fake it till you make it. There's a, there's a connotation there that doesn't work for me, <laughs> but that's another whole discussion. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I, you know, I like uh, you talk about the focus on the successes and victories you have in the past, because unfortunately for most people, they focus too much on the things they've not done right, the things they've done wrong, the things they fail at. And not enough on the things that they have. You, if you if you keep a record with things you've done well, the things you succeeded at, and you, you go back to the you know maybe you call a victory log or a success log, and you go back to while you're going through these struggles, like the the situation you just mentioned, 
the confidence to come back to say, oh, I did this three months ago. I did this six months ago. I'm capable of doing good things. So it's a good reminder. So I, I highly recommend that to everyone. You know, keep a, a log of the things you've done right, of the success you have. It'll get you through these tough times um, when you go back and remind you, I've done a lot of good things. Because too often we just focus on the things we don't do right. And like you say, a lot of it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. You say, I can't do it. Guess what? You won't be able to do it. And so the, that anchor, it's like becomes like the anchor on the mind that propels you up. And I totally agree with you on that. And you also mentioned, don't be afraid to ask for help or advice from others. You can go up to someone else saying, I already had the person who's the expert on this. You know, I have a couple of questions about it. There's nothing wrong with being a little bit vulnerable. And, and if you don't know something, it's okay. Not No one expects you to know every single thing. It's okay to say, you know, I'm not sure about that. Let me, I'll get back to you on that. Let me look into it. And people okay with that. It's like when you try to pretend that you know something you don't, people can tell. And you know what? That will turn people off. So it's better just to be honest saying, you know, I'm not sure. I, I don't know the answer to that. I will look into it, get back to you, and people appreciate that. So, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely good stuff there. Um, next thing I want to ask you is there's been a big shift in, in the workplace in, you know, since you know, COVID-19 ended. So a lot of things have changed. You want to talk about some of the biggest uh, shifts that's happened in the workplace over the last two or three years since covid yeah, what I hear from a lot of my clients and, and situations they're wrestling with, it, it you can sum it up in a in a very broad statement and say it feels like workforce has taken more power. They they have become bolder about standing up for what they will and won't accept in the workplace. And you know the big one, the the hot button that was is still a subject of much debate and concern is the whole idea of return to the office. You know, people have have gotten generally familiar with not having to make a one hour commute one way to go to work and waste all that time in their day. And they are looking for opportunities where they can work from home or at a at, at, at worst case have a hybrid requirement, you know, maybe come into the office one, two, or three days a week, but you get the other ones to flex. And that, that still permeates as a, as a theme. And I, my, my one caveat and footnote to that, I was doing an interview yesterday with, with someone who is a coach in Silicon Valley, and he said that uh, the dynamic out there that's happening right now, you know, Silicon Valley went through this big, you know, hiring frenzy before COVID, COVID hit, everybody went home, everybody was working from home. Um, and then as the company started demanding people to come back to the office, people were quitting. So, you know, they were, they were uh, quitting over that subject. But he said now the pendulum is actually swinging back to the fact that there's about 100,000 technologists in the valley that need jobs and the companies can pretty well dictate the terms. And if they want people back in the office, they're getting people back in the office. So it, it's a constant ebb and flow. But I do think that even apart from the whole work from home thing, I think there's still a mindset that people have decided on the value of their sense of work-life harmony. I, I changed my own wording on that uh, through the COVID experience. I used to talk a lot about work-life balance and it, you know, it was popular and, 
But what I've observed in the COVID experience is what people are really needing to do is harmonize what they've got going on at work with what they've got going on at home. And the reason being, guess what? Both of them are happening simultaneously, just like we saw during the lockdown. Kids needed online schooling. You know, mom and dad had to figure that out. Uh, you you were simultaneously solving for the demands of the moment, and it, it it the ones that did it best were able to harmonize those things and get them working simultaneously, but yet not giving up one for the other. And uh, I I think that's a lot of what's still happening now. People are seeking that better level of harmony in in their personal life and their work life. No, I agree. I think people are looking for that harmony between the work life and their personal life. And there definitely things have changed. A lot of people are trying or they want to work from home or if not full time, at least, you know, like the hybrid, you know, one, two, three days a week. Although you also mentioned the caveat with Silicon Valley, you know, some people quit when they want to come back to the office, but now they're looking for more. Now there's a lot of workers looking for work. So now in that industry, things have shifted. So, um, um, they can't be as demanding as they were, like say a couple of years ago. So, you know, that may, that may happen in other industries as well. But uh, I definitely the mindset for a lot of workers definitely changed over the last years because five six years ago people just said I got to go to work, and even though a lot of people would like to work from two three days a week, they a lot of them would, would not request it. But that that slowly changed. So a lot of people are demanding it now. So we'll see how that continues. Now, as we're getting toward the end of our interview, are there any last minute pieces of advice you'd like to share with our audience? Well, I I think the one one thing that people need to think about if if you own a business or you are in a position of management responsibility in a larger organization, there are a couple of things that I think are critically important. I think you personally need to create a vision of your own career, but also the unit that you have responsibility for, you, you need to really lock in on a vision of where you want things to go. And in my early years of coaching, I was surprised at how many executives in bigger companies, I mean, I'm talking, you know, VPs, EVPs, SVPs, I would ask them, what's your vision for your business unit? And they would look at me and go, what are you talking about? I'm waiting for directive from above. And it's like, oh, no, 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 no. You need to have your own vision and you need to figure that out. Now, if you're in a bigger organization, yes, you need to align it with the bigger picture and what your boss is thinking, et cetera. But nonetheless, you still need to have a vision. And if you can have a vision of where you want to go as a leader, you will be able to respond to the moment rather than react to the moment. And there's a big difference between responding or reacting when things happen. And the only way you can really lock in and be able and prepared to respond, not react, is to have your own vision and purpose of where you want things to be going. No, I agree. It's a very important to have a vision. I think sometimes when you're an employee, you're like saying, I just do what the company tells me to do. But, you know, I remember from my days in the corporate world, we'd have our annual reviews. And when you fill out your assessment, they would ask you, where do you see yourself three to five years from now? So they want you to see, you know, you know, come up with a vision for yourself. So, yeah, obviously, you know, you have to align with the company's vision if you're an executive or anyone. So you do have to do it. But you should be thinking about your own vision 
And um, and I like what you say, you need to respond to the moment rather than react to the moment. I think often what happens is a lot of people wind up reacting instead of responding. So definitely, you know, a lot of good value here. So Doug, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a real pleasure having you on. You shot a lot of great tips, a lot of awesome value. And I know those that are listening uh, definitely learned a lot today, as I did. And if people want to get in touch with you, what is the best way for them to contact you? Just mainly hop over to my website. It's simply Doug Thorpe. That's T-H-O-R-P-E dot com. And there's a lot of opportunity to uh, connect with me. I do offer a, a free uh, discovery call if you've got a situation or a circumstance you'd like to explore. Uh, whether or not we agree to do some further work together it, uh, is not not the big question, but would love to meet with you and talk about your situation, learn more, and see if there's anything we can help with. Awesome. Thanks again, Doug. Have yourself a great day. All right, Victor. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our amazing episodes. Please also leave a five-star rating review and have an awesome day.